Man, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. It is good to be together. Are y'all alive tonight? Are you awake? Yeah, okay. Friends, there is good news for us tonight. There is a Savior who has rescued us, who has redeemed us, who has called us by name. Regardless of what our week has held, we have a Savior who wants to meet with you tonight. With you. Individually, together, corporately. But I just want to read over us a scripture out of Titus 3. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. There is hope tonight for us. There is joy to be found in the presence of the Lord because he has saved us, he has come for us, he has called us by name, and he has redeemed our life from the pit. So friends, let's worship. Let's lift high the name of Jesus. There is much to sing about tonight, amen?
singing to our Jesus tonight. He is our Savior. He is risen. He will come again in glory. He's been given the name above every other name. Do you believe that? Let's sing this together. We want to give you pure exaltation.
of our praise, we worship you. And here we stand in awe, as you deserve it all. Jesus, evermore, we will sing it again. And worthy are you, God. Worthy is your name, Jesus. Worthy of our praise, we worship you. And here we stand in awe. You deserve it all. Jesus, evermore, we worship you. exalted in our midst. King Jesus, we want to see you lifted up. King Jesus, stars bow low. All the heavens make their boast. You are seated on
Father, we thank you that you are present here in the room Friday night. Can you sense the Lord's goodness here? Yes. Okay. We're going to clap again for King Jesus. Can you sense the Lord's presence here with us tonight? Yes. As we come to give to the Lord of our tithes and offerings, I want to highlight my friends Bob and Rosie they do the food bins as you walk into the church. We have a picture of the food bins. The food bins here, I was walking with Bobby and Rosie this week, and they said, do you know what? 
Pastor Matthew, we have so many needs in the last couple of weeks. And I said, Bobby and Rosie, you have been so faithful to volunteer your time, to, to gather these food, to give it to our community. I want to highlight you on Friday night. So I said, you better be watching, Bobby, Bob and Rosie, because we love you. We're proud of you. And we want to partner with what the Lord's. So if you want to partner with us, we give this food uh, first to our family here at New Life. And then it goes to the food bank at Nueva Vida. And then it goes to a couple schools that need it and Springs Rescue and all over our city. And so if you want to give to that every Friday night, the bins are open, and I just wanted to welcome you to participate in that. And then also there's four ways that you can give. You can give online. You can give in the boxes in the back. Mail it in. Or like my wife Lee and I, you can give um, on the app online. But let's pray as we give to the Lord. Father, I thank you that you hear our cry. David says in Psalm 28, do you hear me? He called to the Lord and he said, yes, the Lord hears my cry. Psalm 28 says, praise be the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy. With my song, I praise him. New Life Friday night, can we sing again to a good God that hears our cry? As you sing and as you worship the Lord, he hears you tonight. He's answering your cries. He's present to you and wanting to help you. So let's worship the Lord as we give tonight.
Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord together tonight? So we've got Free on piano, we've got John Cornella on drums, we've got Nathan and Ken, we've got Kirsty, we've got Seth and Abby. Give it up for these people leading us every week. Insane talent, even better hearts. So thank you for leading us. Would you grab your seats for just a minute? We're going to dedicate a couple humans to the Lord. So I want to invite these families to the stage. And as they come, would you give them a hand for these wonderful children that they're raising? Woo! Come on down here, guys. We've got a full stage tonight. Good to see you. What's up, Lakin? Okay, Lakin is getting dedicated tonight, and it's his sixth birthday. Give it up for Lakin tonight. Yeah, baby. Lakin Daniel. What a stud. Can you tell us, parents, can you tell us their full names and how old they are before we dedicate them tonight? It's Kaylin Lee, and she is five months. Oh, look at those cheeks. <laughs> Just honey. Kaylin Lee. And who do we have here tonight? This is Lake and Daniel. Today it's his sixth birthday. Woo! Can I give you that, Matthew? Okay, so, Lake and there's a Bible for you. We got your full name in there, the date of tonight. I signed that. All of your church got you that Bible. Kaylin Lee, same. Okay, so mom and dad, family. It's not just the kids that you're dedicating tonight. You're dedicating yourselves tonight to raise these babies in the way of the Lord. Kaylin Lee, Lake and Daniel, your whole tribe around you saying, we're gonna go after Jesus together. And so tonight as we dedicate you, the whole family saying yes and amen to tonight. So I'm gonna anoint you with oil in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Little Kaylin Lee, you might not like this. Father, son, yeah, Holy Spirit, it's fine, it's fine. Two-thirds ain't bad. Church, can you stretch out your hands tonight to begin to speak blessing, and I want you to start. I want you, what, what would you pray if this were your baby? Peace, and shalom, and wholeness, provision. Lord, tonight hear our prayers over Kaylin Lee. And we say, Lord, lead her in the way of everlasting life. Lord, for Lake and Daniel, we say he'd never know a day where he didn't know Jesus. <laughs> and always hear his voice. Lord, we pray that these two would rise in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that everything they touch would prosper. We pray that they would live long and vibrant and healthy and full lives. We pray that they would have the voice of the Spirit behind them. Isaiah 30 verse 21 says, and if you get a little bit to the right or to the left, you will hear my voice behind you saying, no, this is the way. Walk ye in it. And so we thank you that their hearts will be tender. Tender hearts. Open hearts. Receptive hearts. We pray that they would follow Jesus. 
We pray that you would always have their yes, Lord. We pray for the joy of the Lord. In a world that's so dark, the joy of the Lord will be your strength, Lake and Daniel. Caitlin Lee, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. We thank you, Lord, for surrounding them with good friends. Scripture says, whoever walks with the wise will grow wiser still, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. And so we rebuke fools in Jesus' name. Go away. (laughs) Good friends, good aunties and uncles in the faith, good siblings that will encourage them and strengthen them and raise them up in the way of the Lord. Lord, I pray for mom and dad. At every critical juncture, that they would have prophetic sensitivity. Prophet said that in the last days I'll pour up my spirit and the hearts of the children would be turned to the parents and the hearts of the parents to the children. So we speak divine unity over these homes. We thank you, Lord, that these homes will be locked in. We rebuke strife in Jesus' name and we thank you for joy and, and, and ease and unity and clarity in these homes. We thank you that the song of the Lord will be sung in these homes. We thank you that there will be strength in these homes, that the anointing of the Spirit will rest in these homes. We thank you for sweet sleep in these homes. Lord, we thank you that these children will flourish. And so tonight we pray, Lord, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your countenance upon these kiddos and we pray grant them shalom tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All God's people said amen. Give it up for these families tonight. Would you stand with me one more time? I know you just sat down, but you'll be fine. Would you cross the aisle, hug a neck, shake a hand, take two minutes and be kind and then I'll come open the Bible. One, two, three, be nice.
Well, all right, all right, all right. Some of you heard Matthew McConaughey when I just said that. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to church. If you grab your seats, that would be fantastic. A few announcements at the top before I get started. First, for those of you who are the ultra saints, the double dippers who come both on Fridays and Sunday mornings, I'm preaching this sermon on Sunday morning slightly better. There's your fair warning, okay? Some of you are going to IHOP now. Um, Very good. Second thing, we've got Janine Hardy in the house tonight. And Jim and Janine have been faithful around here for years. And Janine has been in a health uh, crisis, a health battle. She's been just one foot in front of the other, persevering. And I just want to say, Janine, we are always better when you're in the room. And we love you and we bless you. Welcome tonight. Welcome tonight. I leaned over to Don, my 91-year-old friend here during worship, and he gave me a big hug, and he told me how much he loves me like he always does every week, and and I was walking away. He goes, let's get it tonight. (laughs) So, Don, let's get it, baby, all right? Might as well. Swing hard in case you hit it. Um, Some of you are like, what does that mean? Uh, Tonight, the title of the sermon is the furnishings of the temple and the stories they tell us. Interesting. First Kings chapter six, we're in week four of our series. The furnishings of the temple and the stories they tell us. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to First Kings six. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. I'm gonna read you the first 14 verses. I'll pray and we'll jump in here. Ye, the word of the Lord. In the 480th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, little background here, 40 years in the Bible is like a proper generation. The people of God wandered through the desert for 40 years, right? They were slaves in Egypt for this long, and now this is 480 years later. There's 12 tribes of Israel, 12 times 40 is 480. There's just like a completion here. Do you see this? In the 480th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, In the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziv, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. The temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long. Some of you are like, how long is a cubit? A cubit is basically from the tip of your middle finger to your elbow here. That's about 18 inches, right? So 60 cubits is 90 feet, okay? Uh, Cubits long, 20 wide and 30 high. The portico at the front of the main hall of the temple extended the width of the temple, that is 20 cubits, and projected 10 cubits from the front of the temple. He made narrow windows high up in the temple walls so that light could come in. Against the walls of the main hall and inner sanctuary, he built a structure around the building in which there were side rooms. You gotta have little kids' rooms and storage rooms and where are you gonna put the communion and all that stuff. The, the lowest floor was five cubits wide and the middle floor was six cubits and the third floor was seven. And he made offset ledges around the outside of the temple so that nothing would be inserted into the temple walls. In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used. And no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. They wanted shalom at the temple. So they did all the loud work at the quarry site and then brought the stones in finished. The entrance to the lowest floor was on the south side of the temple. A stairway led up to the middle level and from there to the third. 
So he built the temple and completed it, roofing it with beams and cedar planks. And he built the side rooms all along the temple. The height of each was five cubits and they were attached to the temple by beams of cedar. Some of you are like, this is boring, bro. Okay, just stick with me, all right? Just hang in tight. By the end of this, the Holy Spirit's gonna have said something. The word of the Lord came to Solomon after building it. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, if you observe my laws, and if you keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David, your father. And I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. If you obey, if you listen, if you follow, if you covenant, if you stay close, I will not abandon my people Israel. So Solomon built the temple and completed it. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. There is nothing in me that is good enough, wise enough, savvy enough, entertaining enough to hold this room. It it will have to be the word of the Lord tonight. It will have to be the word of the Lord tonight. It will have to be. So we say, speak, Lord. Would you invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you tonight? Would you open up your heart tonight? Would you put down the defense mechanisms tonight and just say, come Holy Spirit, Lord, we need you here. And we pray that as these words go forth, that they would be your very words, that they would strengthen us, that they would challenge us, that they would encourage us, that they would comfort us, that they would disturb us in all the right ways. We pray that you would make us your people afresh tonight. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And I pray these things tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said... Amen. I used to hate vegetables. Like despise. Like, and, and my parents would make me sit at the table until I was done, you know. And we'll be here all night if we have to be, you know. And many nights I'd sit there with a cup of milk and, you know, green beans staring me in the face. And I just, you know, broccoli and all this trash that they were trying to feed me. I hated vegetables. And then I went to college and I was a freshman year of college and Patty Tahanchuk was my health and physical education teacher and, and uh, I'd known Patty my whole life and she was teaching me, I was 19 years old, 18, 19 years old and she was teaching a lesson on you know, the importance of eating vegetables and I was like, that's trash. And she goes, what, you don't like vegetables? I go, no. She goes, you don't like tomatoes? I go, no, I eat a tomato for nothing, no. And she starts going through the list and I go, oh, get that trash out of my face and and she she said to me in class was 300 freshmen and she goes you need to grow up Daniel Grothy (laughs) and upstairs was the cafeteria and she like rebuked me in front of all my peers and so I went upstairs and got a plate and filled it with vegetables and just started (coughs) and now I can eat vegetables right I, I like vegetables now and it was a slow start. And then we moved here. We'd been married 12 days. And Lisa said, right when we moved to Colorado Springs from Tulsa, she goes, let's go eat sushi. I was like, what is wrong? Get thee behind me, Satan. Like, sushi? What the heck? So she takes me to June's. Anyone been to June's sushi? Really good. You know, so I go to June's and I walk in and I've never had sushi and I'm just starting to like vegetables and this is just gross. And, and so we walk in and... There are no seats in this place at this time. There are no chairs. Like, 
I'm in Colorado Springs and there are no chairs in this restaurant. And there's nice little pads on the floor. It's like we're in Japan or something, you know? And they get you the little cup and they make you sit cross-legged. And I'm sitting on the floor in Colorado Springs eating food that I don't like. I like sushi now, but 18 years ago, I, I just wasn't having it. And so I walk into this place and there's no furniture and the food is bad in my, you know, at that point in my life. I love June now, go there and spend a lot of money. But I sit down and I just didn't, I walked into the restaurant that night and there was no furniture, and the lack of furniture told me a story. You're supposed to sit down on the floor here and settle in for the rest of the night and just take it easy. No furniture told me a story. Okay, so I say all that to say to you tonight in this text, the furniture in the temple is going to tell us a story. And I want you to pay attention. This is, you might go, why would we read 1 Kings 6? This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I want to suggest to you it's really important. The furniture in Solomon's temple shows us the journey every worshiper is supposed to take. By the end of the night, I hope you see the journey that every worshiper is supposed to take by looking at the furniture in the temple. I'll say it this way. The architectural realities of the temple tell us a theological story. Architectural realities, theological stories. So what we'll do is we'll go piece by piece of the furniture in the temple tonight, and I'll, I just want to kind of nerd out for a minute and teach you the Bible. Can I teach you the Bible tonight? Is that okay? Very good. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> furniture piece number one, the altar of sacrifice. I want to show you this picture here. The altar of sacrifice is on the bottom right. You see the stairs up to that red thing that's fire and you come to the church and you bring a goat or a bull or a ram or a sheep have you ever carried a sheep into church I, I just I just need to I've never seen any of you carry sheep into this building and I'm disappointed in you frankly for not <laughs> these people are coming to church with cattle and, and turtle doves and all kinds of weird sacrifices, living animals coming to the, the temple and they walk up, that picture on the bottom right, they walk up the altar of sacrifice and climb to the top and they make sacrifice before the Lord and then they throw the animal into that fire. It's wild. What does this have to teach us? What does the altar of sacrifice have to teach us about worshiping God? Climbing the steps with a goat, a goat or a bull or a sheep or some kind of animal sacrifice would have reminded these people of climbing the mountain of God. It would have reminded them of Abraham climbing Mount Moriah with his son Isaac to make sacrifice? What? Okay, God, I don't know what you're doing here. I don't know where this story's going, but I know you told me to climb the mountain. It would have reminded them of Moses and Aaron who had to climb the mountain of the Lord to go receive the Ten Commandments. Moses is an old man. He's hiking up Pike's Peak to go get the word of God. It was a sacrifice that he and Aaron had to make. It would have reminded them of, uh, of, of so many other Old Testament figures who God does great work up on the mountaintop and it takes the sacrifice of climbing up to hear what God wants to say and 
It might remind us tonight of Jesus and Peter and James and John climbing the mountain that would become the Mount of Transfiguration, that up in that high place, when you're willing to sacrifice and pursue God, he shows up and he speaks and he transfigures and transforms and he brings his word to his people. It would remind you maybe as you thought about this of Jesus climbing the mountain with a cross over his shoulder. I'll say it this way, worship is not a spectator sport where God caters to your comfort. True worship will require you to come with a sacrifice. The first piece of furniture, the altar of sacrifice, climbing up those steps, there's a fire. You, you had to prepare, bringing it to, to church, bringing the animal on a cart, traveling from 50 miles away, and you're, you're coming to church with your sacrifice. Worship is not a spectator sport. Maybe I'll say it this way. Worship is not a night out at Top Golf, and God is not your server. Some of you are like, man, he's happy tonight. He's just very happy. These people came with the sacrifice, and this is all throughout Scripture. Psalm 100, verse 4, enter his gates, what? With thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise like we come into the house of God ready to give a sacrifice King David Solomon's dad buying this land that would eventually become the land for the temple David says one of the guys tries to give him the land for free and David says I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing Hey, King David, I just, I, I've got some extra land. I, I really like you, and I'm, I'm just, I just, it would be an honor to give you this land for free. And David says, no, I have to pay for this because I will not give to the Lord something that didn't cost me anything. This is why we tithe and we give offerings and why we serve each other and bring backpacks and, and bring food to the food bank. This is why we come and volunteer. This is why we help in the kids' classrooms. And this is why we keep, because When you worship God, you come with a sacrifice. Make it your determination to always come into the presence of the Lord ready to make a sacrifice. When you step in, the first thing that that these people did, they climbed the stairs and they brought their sacrifice to God. It doesn't always have to be money. You can lift your hands as a sacrifice. You can bow on your knees as a sacrifice. You can shout and clap and and, and glorify God. Give him your words. You can take care of one another. And if you see someone sitting by themselves looking lonely, go over and give them your compassion. Give them your kindness. When our kids are running around here, create a safe space for these children to know that the presence of God is the most wonderful place they could ever be. It's not just a financial sacrifice. We sacrifice our lives. When you come to worship, please, please, please don't ever come to worship unprepared to give a sacrifice to the Lord. This is what the people of God teach us. This furniture teaches us a theological lesson that when we come to worship God, we come ready to give a sacrifice. The second piece of furniture that I want you to see is the bronze sea. Can you show that picture again? The bronze sea. You see that big bowl just to the left of the stairs down at the bottom and then the 10 other little mobile bowls? What they have there is they've got 12 B-U-L-L-S, 12 bulls holding up the bronze sea and it's filled with water. And those 10 other small little portable bulls are, are filled with water and what happens is they come in and the saints begin to wash their hands. They've just made sacrifice. That's dirty. 
They've just traveled from the, the distant regions around Jerusalem, climbing up the mountain of God, and, and they need to get clean. And so they'd wash their hands and they'd wash their face and they would say, Lord, cleanse me and purify me because I am carrying into the place of worship some baggage. I'm carrying into the place of worship some filthiness. I'm carrying into the place of worship some, some, some darkness. I'm carrying into the place of worship. I need you to cleanse me, oh God. And so the second act of their worship, the furniture tells us a theological story that you come into the house of God to repent and to be cleansed. And the psalmist in Psalm 24 famously said, who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may dwell in his holy place, and he answers his question, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. After you've made sacrifice, what you're doing is you're coming in, and this is like song number one, right? You find that if you got kids, you got them checked in, and, and your, your nervous system is settling back down, right? And you go, Lord, that was a hard conversation on Wednesday, and maybe shouldn't have said it that way, and I've repented to them, but Lord, I just need you to cleanse me tonight. I need you to purify me tonight. Lord, my thoughts, would you wash me? Lord, my attitudes, would you wash me? Lord, the way I'm thinking about that person that has postured themselves as my enemy, Lord, would you cleanse me? Lord, tonight I need you to wash me and purify me. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may dwell in his holy place? Only the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And so as you come into worship you come ready to make sacrifice and you come ready to let the spirit of the Lord cleanse you and purify you and wash you clean. The church is a place to repent and to confess and to ask for forgiveness. So when you come into this place, open your heart and open your mouth and let the spirit of the Lord wash you and cleanse you. That's the second thing we see at the bronze sea. Are you tracking with me tonight? Are we okay so far? The third thing, the third piece of furniture that you see is the table of showbread. The table of showbread. I wanna show you this picture. There's a table, as you go from the outer court into the inner court, you're not in the Holy of Holies yet, but as you, as you go into the inner court, you see this table on the right side, and there's 12 loaves of bread right there that are warm, they've been freshly baked, and there's two stacks of six loaves of bread, and it's a reminder of God's special provision of manna for the saints as they were walking through the wilderness after they left Egypt. They come in, and immediately they see that, and they go, oh yeah, God, God took care of us back then. God's always, he took care of our parents. He took care of our grandparents. He took care of our great-great-grandparents. This is 480 years after the 12 generations. They're being reminded that God did not, even in the difficulty of the wilderness, God did not leave them on their own. They woke up and miraculously every morning there was daily bread, the manna. And so there's this piece of furniture with 12 stacks of bread on it signifying that God has always been your provider, God is your provider, and God will always be your provider. You may be wondering where the next bill is going to get paid from, but you walk into worship and you see bread and you go, somehow, someway, we're going to make it another day. The table of showbread. They want you to be reminded that God is the one who will take care of you. When you come to church, it's another thing. I want you to use this as a metaphor. When you come to church, you're supposed to be walking into a feast. 
This isn't, you know, check the box and oh, I've got to knock it out this week before I go to the mountains and chase elk. I just need to get to the house of God. I hate our church. No, you're coming to a feast. The scriptures, we just read the, the endlessly and inexhaustibly articulate scriptures that were breathed by the very breath of God. We get to do this. It's a feast of God's word. It's a feast gathering together with the saints, looking each other in the eye. And John and Wendy are providing coffee and tea every single week. And, and Wesley and Laura and so many people have worked. So many people are ready to receive your children. And if you're volunteering, we've made a meal for you. Why? Because we want you to know that coming into the house of God is supposed to be a feast. And you walk in to the temple and you see the table of showbread and you're supposed to say, God is my provider and we're gonna enjoy worshiping together as the saints. When you don't come to church, I want you to know you're missed. And when you don't come to church, you're missing out. <laughs> you're going, you, you gotta say that, that's job security. <laughs> you would say that, Pastor. No, I'm saying as someone who's been 40 years in the house of God, church is that weekly rhythm, at least weekly rhythm, multiple times a week sometimes, where we come together and we feast on the presence of God. We feast on the scriptures. We remind ourselves that he always has been our provider. He is our provider and he will be our provider. And then we enjoy sitting around the table of the Lord with the people of God. You just can't take me out of church. Like I, I, I don't have to work here to be here. I'm gonna be at the house of God. Why? Because gathering in the presence of God is a feast among the saints. The fourth thing, the fourth piece of furniture that I want you to see are the 10 menorah candle stands. The 10 menorah candle stands. You've got the table of showbread on the right and you turn to the left and there are these, have you ever seen a menorah candle stand, right? The seven prongs and there's the light and beautiful ancient Hebrew tradition in there and stories and what do we see with the 10 menorah candle stands? They light up the house of God. The darkness has to be driven out in our lives. When you come into the presence of the Lord, you, you leave your darkness behind and you let the light of God's spirit illumine your life. You let the light shine on the dark places of your heart. You let the light lead you forward. And the, and, and, and the psalmist would have said in Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Oh God, I need you. I'm, the world is so dark and I don't know which way to go and I don't know what, how to answer that question and I don't know what to do about that child that's wandered off into the far country of prodigality. I don't know. I don't know about the diagnosis, but thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And God, I need your light. I need your light to shine. You fed me. You fed my ancestors. Now would you light up my life with your glory? Would you light up my life with your truth? God, would you give me your light? How in these ancient days would they have had the light? They would have had to have the oil. I'll take that. <laughs> Someone's like, yeah, his sermon should be done right now. I put him on the clock. Put him on the clock. Lisa, put your phone away. (laughs) 
to light up the candles in that ancient day, you would have had to have the oil. The oil, the oil, the oil. The Holy Spirit is spoken of in the ancient scriptures in the Old Testament as the oil of God's gladness. And this is why we anoint children with oil. Because <laughs> we say the Holy Spirit is going to lead you forward all the days of your life. And may he illumine your path before you, Lord, for, for Kaylin Lee and for Lake and Daniel. We anointed them with oil tonight. Why? The oil is what keeps the light burning. And I'll say to you tonight, you cannot live well without your daily dose of the power of the Holy Spirit. You just can't do it. Try I've tried it, I promise you. I start breaking down. Uh, it, it's, it was at Cinderella at midnight, she turns into a pumpkin. I, at the end of the day, I just, like you have, is that right? No, sorry, Delisa's going, my husband is so stupid. She doesn't turn into a pumpkin, her carriage turns into a pumpkin, right? <laughs> right? Is, am I right? Is that okay? The second time is the charm? You guys know what I meant. You come up and try this. <laughs> Stupid. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. Let me be human. Y'all know I really need the Holy Ghost after that. You can't live without a daily dose of the Holy Spirit. You just can't. So get up in the morning and say, Lord, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I'm going to encounter so much complexity today. Life is full of dynamism. And I'm frankly afraid of that meeting that's on my calendar. And I don't know what to say when I step into it. And I'm, my anxiety swirls up even thinking about it. But God, would you just light up my life tonight? You fed me today. Lord, would you give me the grace to, to not stumble in the darkness? Let your light shine in the path. Thy word is a lamp see how the furniture tells us a story? You make sacrifice and you wash your hands and you come in and you go, God has been my provider. He is and he always will be. And Lord, I need your light to shine in the darkness of my life. That's the fourth piece. The fifth piece of furniture is the altar of incense. The altar of incense. I want to show you this picture. The priest would come to the altar of incense and these people would have known from the time of Moses, beginning in Exodus 30, God says, to Moses, take sweet spices and stacti and anica and galbanum and pure frankincense. I've been to Saudi Arabia and, and Oman and all over the Middle East and frankincense, just unbelievable fragrance that fills the earth. It's just ridiculously beautiful. And he says, take all these spices and pure frankincense with these sweet spices and there shall be equal amounts of each. And you shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you. Take the spices and light the candle and, and, and let that aroma, the fragrance of God's glory, fill the house of God. You've got the beautiful light and you've got the food and you've got all the, it's just this olfactory, overwhelming, beautiful experience being in the presence of God. And throughout the Bible, incense is, is signifying the prayers of the saints. And we know this because we sing day and night, night and day, let incense rise. Day and night, night and day, let, in, it's the prayers of the saints. 
And at the altar of incense, what God is saying is, uh, first, how do you keep the fire going? You, you keep the fire going by stoking the flames and gathering kindling and tending it and guarding the flame. And this is why we've reopened the World Prayer Center more purposely. Because day and night, night and day, we need the incense of the prayers of the saints to rise before God. It, worship is not a spectator sport. And God is not here to entertain us. God is here to draw all of our best faculties into his presence. God is here to, to encourage us to put it all on the table and we eat the bread and we have the light of God's presence and we guard the, the incense and we lift our prayers before the Lord. Lord, let your glory dwell in my life. Let your glory dwell in my neighborhood. Let your glory dwell in my children's school. God, would you pour out your spirit on us and would you cleanse us from all unrighteousness and would you send revival in our land? God, hear the cries of your people. A prayerless church is a dead church. I want nothing to do with it. And God wants nothing to do with it. He wants to hear our cry. He wants us to engage our imaginations. He wants us to take our authority. And, and what, is, what does Ezekiel say? God leads him out into the valley of dry bones. And the spirit of the Lord said to Ezekiel, you prophesy to these bones, live. <laughs> And this is what we do at the altar of incense. In the, in the light of God's presence, we begin to prophesy life into a nation that is dead like dry bones like America is right now. Hear the word of the Lord. Let the breath come from the four winds. Rise up, great and mighty army. Live again. Can you say amen tonight, church? A prayerless church is a dead church. And so you see the priest there guarding the incense and guarding the altar of incense and keeping that flame burning. I'm, I'm begging you to keep the flames of prayer burning in your life. The sixth thing that you see, the sixth dimension of this furniture that tells us a theological story is, is, is the room. It's, it's the room. It's the holy of holies. We've been in the outer court and we've made sacrifice and we've washed our hands and we've come into the inner court and there's the table of showbread and there's the light lighting up our lives and there's the altar of incense, but then you pass into the Holy of Holies and I wanna show you this picture here because the Holy of Holies, there's just this unmatched glory in the room. You've got the angels spread out 15 feet each, guarding the whole room, 30 feet wide, and their span, their wings go to each wall, and they cover over the Ark of the Covenant and the seraphim. Are, are, the mercy seat is right there on top of that little wooden box, and they've got the long poles. Why? Because the priest would have to carry it that way. You don't touch the Ark of God's presence. It'll kill you. You carry it. You, you, you revere it. You dignify it. You come in knowing what you're handling. And they walk into the Holy of Holies and the high priest would make sacrifice once a year. They would, one person could go in once a year into the Holy of Holies because the stakes were that high. And in the Ark of the Covenant, that's the second one. In the Ark of the Covenant, what you see is the Ten Commandments, and Aaron's rod that budded in Egypt, right? He's there with the magicians and they're throwing down their rods and they're turning into snakes and Aaron goes, I, I see your rod and I raise you another. And he throws down his staff and it turns into a snake, a snake that eats up the rest of the snakes. And they gather that up with, with some manna. They put manna in a jar. So manna from the wilderness, they put it in a jar and somehow, some way, 480 years later, it's not mildewed. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, devil. You've got the rod that budded, the, uh, the non-mildew, the good, 
good, the good manna and Moses' Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant, what you see is in this room there is utter symmetry. The room is a perfect cube, 30 feet high, 30 feet wide, 30 feet long. And what I want you to see is that in the presence of God there is perfect order. In the presence of God, there is shalom. In the presence of God, there's symmetry. In the presence of God, there's wholeness. In the presence of God, there's direction. His word is there. In the presence of God, there's the staff. There's his miraculous power. In the presence of God, you see a reminder of God's provision with the manna that has lasted to this day. Friends, you go into the holy of holies, and I'll just say to you, the presence of God is the only place where you'll ever be put back together. Order, symmetry. Wholeness, perfection, beauty, protection, direction, provision. Friends, in the holy of holies, you see that this is the God who has never left us and never forsaken us. And we come into his presence and all of the madness, even if it's just for a moment, ceases. The holy of holies is the beautiful invitation, but we've got a problem here. Before we can go too much further, we need to name that only one person could go in once a year for the sins of all the people. It's, it's, a, it's a low access room. It's a, it's a, you gotta really hedge your bets in this ancient day. The eighth and final piece of furniture that you see is the curtain separating the inner court from the Holy of Holies. There's a curtain, one person, one time a year, the stakes are high. Yes, there's order and there's symmetry, but we can't all get to it. it, it there's a, it's difficult, right? The curtain, and, and that's the final piece that I want you to see. The curtain, it represents otherness. It represents separation. It represents reverence and fear of the Lord. It, it represents the sacred, that it's private, that, that God, your place is holy, your name is to be revered, you're not to be trifled with, you're not to, we are not to trample your grace underfoot, we're not to act like you're our genie in the bottle that we just rub whenever we want and you're out here taking care of us. No, God's presence is sacred and holy and that's what the curtain shows us, the high priest can go in, there's a sacredness and an otherness and if we're not careful, when we look at this in this moment in time, the message we can get is that God doesn't want his people around him. The curtain, eh. These people have been difficult. Uh, just send one person in. It's like the fragile parent, you know, who needs a dark room. <laughs> a la Daniel Grothy sometimes. God is fragile and he's, you know, you can't knock him off his spot. He's the, the great and powerful Oz. It's God hiding behind the curtain. And, and the little dog runs in and opens up the curtain and he's fragile and he's spooked and he's scared. God is so fragile that he can't have a bunch of people around him. If we're not careful, that's the message that we'll get. That God is curmudgeonly and cold and distant and easily aggrieved. That God is, is, is looking to trip us up and set the bar too high. And that God doesn't want his people around. And I'll just say to you tonight, tonight nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> I have good news for you and his name is Jesus. <laughs> Not the God who is distant and cold and aggrieved and fragile, but the God who comes rushing at his people. <laughs> 
His name is Jesus. A seemingly small detail. I want you to see this as we come to a close. A seemingly small detail in the Good Friday story. Jesus is hanging on the tree outside of Jerusalem. And what happens in that moment, we pick it up in Matthew 27, 45. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land because God has gotten ready to die. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit, and and we kind of know all this, but I need you to see verse 51 and lock it in your psyche for the rest of your life. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain in the temple, the curtain separating the holy of holies, only the high priest. Oh, once a year, and oh, it's so distant, and it's so hard to access God, and God is fragile, and I wonder if he's mad at us and trying to trip us up. Jesus breathes out his last, and he gives up his spirit, and at that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, not from the bottom to the top. It wasn't human beings down there going, finally, let us in here, tearing from the bottom up. No, from top to bottom, which is to say God did this. Only God could do this. Jesus gives his life, and what separated us has now been opened up to us. All of our sin that kept us in darkness and hiding has been rolled back and removed, and now the access to God's presence is open once and for all to anyone who will call on the name of the Lord. You shall be saved. The curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, which is to say that God wants us close. God is not put off with us. God is not pathologically reclusive and socially awkward. God is not the Wizard of Oz hiding behind the curtain and fragile and trying to scare us away. God is the most engaging being you could ever imagine, and he wants his people close. If the cross of Jesus opened up the Holy of Holies, here's what we can know. God desperately wants us to live in his presence. God desperately wants us to live in his presence, we come and we make sacrifice and we wash our hands and we wash our face. And we say, God, forgive me. I'm carrying the, 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 the dust of the week is on me. Now cleanse me. And then we come in and we see the bread and we go, he's always provided. He's not gonna stop now. And then we say, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And then we keep the prayers going. Oh Lord, we're gonna be intercessory people day and night, night and day, let incense rise. And we want to get to that place, but something in us says that we don't have access. All these other people have access, but not us. But Jesus hangs on the tree, and he gives up his spirit, and the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, which is your clear message that God desperately wants you to live in his presence. Friends, the furniture in the temple tells us a theological message tonight. Come ready to sacrifice. Come be washed by his spirit. Come and let God feed you. Come and let God light up your life. Give your prayers to the Lord and let God invite you deep into his presence where there's order and symmetry and wholeness and flourishing. Friends, God wants us in his presence. Can you say amen tonight? Would you stand with me? Would you quiet your hearts and close your eyes and let yourself be undistracted for a minute?
I want you to imagine the curtain in the temple blocking you. Which is what so many of us feel. We feel unworthy to go into God's presence. We feel it's for the special saints, the real great Christians. And tonight as your eyes are closed and you picture that curtain, I want you to see that thing starting to tear at the top. And you hear the the threads and the wool and everything's fracturing, it's being broken all of a sudden. And you're looking right into the Holy of Holies. And you see the angels, arms stretched out over God's presence and over God's glory. And I want you to feel the invitation in tonight. And you know who gave it to you? It's Jesus Christ himself. And so what we need to do tonight is say yes to the work of Jesus. We need to agree with what Jesus has already purchased for us. We don't have to twist God's arm. The work has been done. We just say yes to Jesus and in we come. And so right now in your own words, would you just begin to call on the name of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus, the cleansing of Jesus, Jesus to light up your life tonight with his 10 golden lampstands, Jesus to feed you with the bread of life tonight, call on the name of Jesus. And scripture says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, I say to you, the good news of the gospel is God desperately wants you to live in his presence and he has made a way in Jesus Christ. So come tonight into the presence of the Lord. I want to invite our prayer team, our communion team rather, to come forward. We're going to worship the Lord. And if you're new with us, what we do is we we move through the room. And I actually like this because you saw tonight the furniture in the temple has you moving. Coming into worship, there's, there's a progression you have to make. So as you come forward, imagine yourself on that sevenfold journey, coming into God's presence, coming to receive the invitation from him. We'll worship the Lord. Come get your communion elements. Go back to your seat. Hold it there. And then I'll come back in just a minute. And we'll receive together. Let's worship the Lord. What sacrifice was made? 
you open your communion elements tonight, be ready to receive the table of showbread. I've always taken care of you, says the Lord. And Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, they would have had these resonances of the table of showbread. Oh, this is my body, which is broken for you. God's going to lay it all on the line for us again. God's going to never leave us or forsake us. God's going to always make sure we have what we need. Friends, tonight, as you hold this bread, Jesus looks across the table to you and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, remember, they came into church in the temple. There's the bread. As often as you do this, they remembered. And tonight, as often as you do this, God is not going to leave you to be your own provider. Jesus has done the work. You may receive the bread tonight. What about the cup? Jesus says this cup is the new covenant. It's given in my blood. And it's given for the remission of your sins. We come into the house of God needing to be washed. Needing to be cleansed needing to be made holy again, needing to be forgiven. Jesus says it's taken care of. As often as you do this, remember that God is for you. He's made a way. Friends, you may drink the cup tonight. Let's sing. Day and night, night and day, let incense rise. Day and night, night and day, let your prayers rise tonight. Come on. Let's intercede tonight. Let's keep the flame burning tonight. going to sing this bridge again here in a minute, day and night, night and day. Noah, could you bring the house lights down just a touch? I want to create a moment here where we genuinely intercede over things that are vexing us, causing us fear and anxiety, uncertainty about the future, all the stuff going on. It's a diagnosis you got, whatever it is. I want us right now, to, we're going to quietly start singing day and night, night and day, let incense rise. But as we do, I want you to be praying over specific things. And so I want to give you 30 seconds here 
to begin to gather up those prayers, to begin to gather up those issues, to begin to bring them into the presence of the Lord right now. And I want you to start calling people's names in the presence of the Lord. You may have to be quiet because they might be right next to you. Call their names. What do you want to pray over tonight? Who do you want to lift up tonight? Who do you want to speak life into tonight? What situation do you need turned around tonight? Come on. Day and night. by Yahweh and he said when you gather in the tabernacle the temple when you when the saints come together in corporate worship here's what you need to say he says say over them the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift his countenance upon you and grant you peace and God read this in Numbers chapter 6 24 25 26 God says Moses after you pray that prayer you will be putting my name on their head. <laughs> I like that. I like that image. You're not just getting a cute little prayer. God says that you're stamping my name on their head as they leave the house of God. And so tonight, I want you to see yourself having God's name stamped on you. So Lord, tonight I pray, pour out your spirit on my friends. I pray that you would open the windows of heaven over them and over all their people and pour out your glory on them. I pray, Lord, for your joy to lead them forward this week. I pray, Lord, for your blessing to carry them into the future. I pray for their bodies to be healed, for all the sick among us. In Jesus' name, be restored tonight. I pray for all the confused among us. Tonight, I pray, peace be still to your mind. 
For all those who are lacking financial provision, I pray that God's windows of heaven would be poured out, opened up on you, and his provision would be poured out. In Jesus' name, I pray, perfect everything that concerns your people, Lord. So tonight, hear it, receive it. May the Lord our God bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and grant you peace tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here tonight? Beautiful night. Thanks for putting up with my Cinderella reference. I appreciate the grace. Uh, Go from here. Hey, actually, we got a prayer team down front if you need any extended prayer. If you wanna get signed up for the Alpha course at the back, The Alpha Course is for people who have questions about faith and want to gather around a table and eat food and talk and pray and and just discuss. If that's you, swing by the table in the back. Go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. So much love.